This is David McCall, host of the QTS Experience podcast. This week, I'm joined by Sebastian Moss, editor-in-chief and publisher at Data Center Dynamics. You might not have seen Sebastian before, but you have certainly read Sebastian before. He is one of the industry's leading voices in all things data centers. Sebastian discusses how he and his team bring the stories of digital infrastructure, or the modern economy, to us. Listen in on the next QTS Experience podcast. The most valuable commodity on earth today is data. Make it, use it, move it, and protect it. My name's David McCall. Join me today for the QTS Experience. Sebastian Moss, I, I got to believe that right now our viewers have started an over and under on those shelves holding those books for the entire episode. When you put them in there, do you put them like by, what's the organization? Can I push it in? Does it fit? Is it by color? Is it by content? It, it, it began as content, and then it's <laughs> it's increasingly turned to, will, will I be able to find space? Um so there's there's more bookcases behind my my chair, and then there's kind of more books hidden off screen. But it's 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 a problem. It's an addiction. Uh, I should seek therapy, but it's very expensive. <laughs> you know, it, it's strangely therapeutic, though. I mean, you've got some greenery in the back. You've got um, you know, obviously, you're engaged with the content that uh, makes me feel good. I feel like I'm back at one of my chemistry or AI professors from school, and here's all the mad you know, mad ingredients to uh, to the recipes they're baking up. So hopefully well, you're going to bake up some stuff today. My, my microscope's off screen as well, which I, <laughs> I use for microscope photography. So it, it is increasingly feeling like I'm, I'm either doing chemistry or something very illegal. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. I, I got somebody really uncomfortable. Oh, I think it was last year, and I was—I forget where they were. But I said, look at all that greenery. It looks like you got weighing and measuring tools. I was joking, Sebastian. Their eyes got this big, like, uh-oh, is my side business on screen? <laughs> I, I, I will answer no further questions. Let's, yeah, let's move on to a safer area. Hey, man, thanks for coming on the show. For, no, for, sure. um, for those who don't know you, I got introduced to you by a mutual friend because I read the articles mm. at Data Center Dynamics regularly, and I am ashamed to admit I wouldn't usually look at who the author is. I'm just looking at the content I'm reading through. Um, but that, so that's years mm. and, and other, other periodicals. But just in the last year, I had begun paying attention, came across um, your name regularly. As, what would usually happen is it's an article I strongly uh, so far agree with, um, but I, I have the same reaction if something like, that's not true, that's not as fast or as important or whatever. But I will immediately then go look to the author and see what else have they written about right. to get a perspective on, you know, do they have a, like what's their perspective? Right. So we have a mutual friend who, um, when we look for podcast guests, came and said, hey, look, this is, if you get nobody else that writes a, in digital infrastructure world, we need to uh, see if we can trick Sebastian into coming onto the show, which we've been successful. So here we go. You have, and, and now you're going to expose my, my side hustles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, Sebastian, you write so many. First, let's start here. How mm. did you get involved in writing 
in an industry, which is having a moment the last right. few years. But before that, some would argue, you know, sort of a niche of a niche. How did you get involved in writing and then specifically in this industry? Yeah, so so I've been at DCD now seven, seven and a bit years. Um, but before that, I did kind of general tech journalism. And then before that, I did six years as a games journalist. But it, it was after doing games journalism, it's very mass market. Audience is, is rather young. I wanted to do something niche, right? I wanted to actually learn, have that ability. I, I really hate when in journalism, one day you're writing about Ukraine war, next day you're writing about a new Apple Watch and stuff. You never really have a chance to learn anything. Right. Whereas I've had seven years just focused on something that is very small, like you said, from from a topic perspective. And it's allowed me to feel that I somewhat know what I'm talking about. Um, and, and then the other side of things is, you know, we are in the information age. Right. And this is the backbone of information. So it's, it's kind of like the most exciting beat one could have. Isn't it amazing? It feels like, um, you know, yesterday I was a nerd. Today I'm a nerd kind of connected to the magic kingdom. So yeah. still a nerd, but people are interested because we really are built, you know, the modern economy, people have heard me say this many times, doesn't exist without mm. energy and uh, connectivity or the internet is another way to think about it. And we're the, we're the brain or the heartbeat right. of the internet. All that data lives in a data center. It, it also puts pressure on all those things, operational efficiency, sustainability, um, who are you hiring, diversity and inclusion, right. how, how are you treating the community, how are you good stewards of capital, how are you good stewards of water? Like yeah. in almost every cultural important or environmentally important area because oh, of the, it's come it, it we we touch it in some way outside of operational um concern of you know of building a um uh building a infrastructure mm -hmm. that is able to sustain you know the, the whole like the the 911 systems of the area emergency response are in these facilities. And so we have a responsibility to make sure they're available when there's an emergency. So for all of those reasons, I'm not trying to be melodramatic, it's super important, but nobody paid attention to it before, yeah. un unless their phone didn't work. And now everybody's paying attention to it because uh, AI's having a day. So as you, as you live in this world, how do you, there's a lot of stories you could write about. Right. Like, how do you, first of all, what's your role there? You're just the writer? Is there a bunch of writers at DCD? What's your role over there? So, yeah, it's a whole bunch. So um, for the past two years, I've been editor-in-chief, okay. as well, which means more meetings. Um, <laughs> and uh, it, So so the, the difference now is that the web developers also report to me. So hopefully the website will be improving. We'll see changes on that, but I'm not going to plug too much. And then on the editor chief side, yeah, we're a team, um, and and I'm really blessed with a fantastic team. So we've got the news editor Dan Swinhoe, executive editor Peter Judge, uh, and then Georgia Butler and Paul Lipscomb for kind of cloud and telco respectively. Uh, and then we also have journalists on the sponsor content side, so that there's that clear separation between stuff that's done with partners and stuff that's done independently, which I think is very important. Right. How do you how do you with that group determine what's going to make it first what's going to make it to getting your time like let, let's think about this and see if we can develop this into a story how do you what determines an area that you're interested in writing about it's 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 very difficult and i, I oscillate between 
each writer has like a level of creative freedom, right? So if they're like, I think this is worth writing about. And even if I don't agree, I'm like, go for it. Prove me wrong. Um, mm-hmm. And then obviously Dan Swinnow's news editor chooses a lot of the kind of daily news. So we do it on average 16 news stories a day. And yet there's still so many news stories. It hurts me that we miss, right? It, right. It, and and I'm constantly thinking, how do we how do we get that higher without compromising quality? Because obviously you can always do faster, but right. you can't always do better. But it, it's very difficult. Um, I don't have a good answer for you. It's really the, it, it's there's there's always five stories that are really obvious each day, right? They're just mm-hmm. the big you know big name company makes big big investment or large data center uh, announcement. Those are easy. You're like, ah, we have to do those. Right. It's finding those extra ones. How do you carve out time to go? I'm not going to write that story. I'm going to spend hours going through some government procurement portal that was designed in the 90s to find a scoop. Um, which every, every, this is a bugbear of mine, every US county has a different procurement website. Uh, they're all horrible. They're yeah. all unusable. Um, but yeah, And they're proud of all of them. They're proud, They're proud of, of all of them. They don't <laughs> respond to emails when you ask them for help with them, but they are proud of them. So funny. Yeah, well, it's, uh, um, it is not an uncommon experience. I mm. just imagine having to pay your bill through them, like in whatever county you're in. Like, I'm just trying to get the trash paid yeah. for. So they show up tomorrow. Um, it's uh, it's always exciting. Hopefully they're not listening to this and going <laughs> to, you know, give me a hard time about it. Support your local governments. Just yeah. make sure you vote. I, yeah, well, there we go. So let me. So as you're, 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 you and your team, you're sitting around. And you're like, looks. I'm sure they have standing orders. Like it reminds me in a weird way in the military. In that, I have standing orders. When I was in the yeah. service and I was on patrol, we've trained a whole bunch. We've got a lot of experience. And whether we're in the barracks or we're out on a combat mission or whatever, we have standing orders. We know right. how to operate, what our boundaries are, and should a surprise, quote unquote, surprise, something pop up, we know to either accelerate to investigate or to withdraw or to call in for more information or whatever. We have, we go through training and experience that helps us to do that. So as you, as you guys are reacting to that, because our, our industry is having a moment, like it feels like whether it's in acquiring land, acquiring power, in other words, acquiring infrastructure pieces, or how we operate, or how we invest, or in in a world of real estate investment that's struggling, our world of real estate investment, generally speaking, is not struggling. There's a Mm. few, I think, that maybe are you know, resetting themselves from some legacy stuff so they can launch better in the future. But by and large, it's a much more positive outlook. So as you work through your standing orders, is it is there is there topics that really, oh, for sure, mm. not just the big companies doing the big thing, but here's a curious one. And then I guess my second part of the question would be, do you ever see or hear something you're like, look, I don't, I don't see, just in your personal experience, I don't know that this is as direct a correlation, but I do think it's related. And it'd be a really cool story to get people, you know, and so not not something about a Kardashian, not something that's completely unrelated, but but really it's on the peripheral, stay with me, how I'm gonna tie it in, but it's a compelling narrative. So those those two things, I guess, are my question for you. Yeah, so, each reporter has their own kind of specific beats, right? Their areas where this is what they are expected to know about. And even if they're not writing that specific story, they should be reading what everyone else is writing about it so that 
when it does come time for us to 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 approach it we're not going in dark um and then you're 100 correct we, we we try and do tangential things part of that is sanity as well it helps to mix <laughs> up you don't just want to write a new data center has opened in uh, right. 50 times in a row so yeah I, I think there's a real benefit to doing that tangential stuff and and slowly weaving it back to the narrative yeah. um we do that more in features than in news just so it we can we have that space to contextualize why we write about this thing right have you had one come across your desk yet and i know we're going to get into mm. some of this meat stuff but i'm really curious where you like i i really i really want to publish this i just can't find a way to get it in but gosh this is glorious like oh, I... what's the material of the uniforms for you know a star trek captain or <laughs> you know something i don't i don't want to you know create something too outrageous, but you're like, oh, this would be, but either space or speed or need for something else, or it just can't quite close the loop on the relationship where you just, you have to walk away, but it breaks your heart. I have a whole list. So I have, I have um, a remarkable tablet and it's full of two lists. One is features that one day I will write for DCD, hopefully. Uh -huh. And uh -huh. the other one is features I have no idea how I'm going to write or where they will go. Um, but so I'm, I'm currently writing a feature for DCD on a retrospective on Enron broadband. Huh. Um, so I've got, you know, what the first thing I did was buy this uh, Enron <laughs> company. It's a company listing of company employees and went through and found all the people that work for the broadband service. And I've been reaching out to them um, and then buy, buy books and stuff. And that, that I've been working on for, I think, four years on and off. Wow. Just slowly, slowly plugging away. So sometimes these things take a long time. Um, right. Some of these pieces might might never happen. Right, but but it's just finding it's it's a constant balance between you know as we're talking right now there'll be breaking news happening, I could right. hang up and quickly write those stories and that would serve an audience, um, right. or I can spend time working on something for a lot longer and come out with a feature. Yeah, and it's, it's trying to balance that is a constant struggle. How many? How many? If you had your, and, I, and I'm asking you as a very mm. pragmatic person, what do you feel like? the right amount of features like you've got four years worth of, to, to one degree or the other probably mm. not the whole time but certainly four years of activity on this feature project you know there are there are writers that have published famous stories either for a political there's a political investigation or there's a like look i, don't, I hate to use the word expose that's not what i mean but right. it's a it's a it's a article that you want people to really think about something. Usually it's not confirming something that we all believe to be true. Right. Usually it is a interesting story that hasn't been told or it is a pulling back the veil so you can see in more truth how something maybe has been hidden from us. For good or ill, something that's been hidden from us. So when you think about, th but that takes, if you're gonna do it with integrity, which is, mm. we hope, and accuracy, to your point, this is, very few of stories worth telling that haven't been told don't require a level of investigation. How, so do you give yourself, look, I need to publish one of these a year, one in a career. What's the, what's your imagination on, on getting, getting a certain number of those, those types of articles written? The hope, and I haven't always hit it is, you know, we have the website, but we also have a magazine that comes out four times a year. Right. So the hope is, each magazine magazine should have at least one of those kind of really big pieces. But 
it, it, it's hard because sometimes you know every story always needs a little more time in the oven um <laughs> and you know sometimes you have to go okay this is the best i can do in the time i have am right. i happy with the story am i you know uh, happy with the facts okay let's run it and other times like with this enron piece i, I, I keep telling the other people in my team i need i need another mag one more mag and it'll come <laughs> don't worry um and you know I, that's the advantage of working in-house rather than freelance freelance as a journalist you, you you tell the editor yes this is coming they expect it to come right we're a team we can have a little bit of more informal discussion i go hey dan can you do another two pages on this piece to cover the piece that i'm not going to deliver right and we we can do it um but I, yeah i don't have a good answer because i want to be doing these constantly i want right. to every month have a big expose or a big deep dive um but finding the time is increasingly difficult. I can imagine, uh, although you did make me chuckle when you were first sort of, you know, every story feels like it needs to bake some more. And I've been in that personally. Mm -hmm. If I get a lot of time, and I'm not a writer at all, but if I get a lot of time to think about a story, I can usually pull it off and get the date. If right. I'm doing an improv, I might be getting a ride in the back of the police cruiser. Like I, I'm, I'm not really good when he, when the window comes down and it's you know it's dark and he's like, explain this situation for me. As long as nobody else in the car does any talking and it's just me, I'm probably can pull it off. But if everybody wants to sort of contribute live to the story, a deeper investigation is going to happen. As you know, yeah. in an improv story, that's where it starts falling apart. Hundred percent. But equally, you need some level of deadline because. A, some stories get stale, right? Right. Some sure. some stories you there are stories that I've sat on and I've missed the boat on. You know, mm. um, for for a long time I've been wanting to do a, a big piece on the the relationship between the creation of nuclear weapons and the supercomputing programs that came out of it and how it filtered down to our industry. Right. And you know, would have been great to to launch that at the same time as Oppenheimer. You know, <laughs> it would have been a nice, um, but uh, just the time didn't come together for it. Yeah. Well, I still feel like there's a window there. I mean, mm -hmm. with, you know, Oppenheimer, like we've on the show um, in the last year, we've interviewed Dr. Anna Erickson twice. She's had a Georgia Tech. She had, she leads nuclear energy research there. Um, she's related to MIT, just a really, really smart, capable person. If you've not had a conversation mm -hmm. with her, I highly recommend it. And then Dr. Christine King is the director at um, of nuclear energy research at the Idaho National Lab, one of right. the United States National Labs. She's with GAIN. And they have very, while they talk about the same subject, they have very different focuses on, um, you will hear Anna talking about small modular reactors right. and, and, and what are the myths and the truths around nuclear energy. And she's very, um, very pragmatic. They're both engineers. They've both been in this business for 20 or 30 years. Um, Christine's focused on, uh, I have an aging nuclear fleet. I have a huge amount of power requirement that we just see growing like a hockey stick. We, ha we see down the pipeline of coal plants that are going to be getting phased out. And it takes this long to build a nuclear plant. Mm. If that's where, if that's what goes next and even longer than the nuclear plant, the dirty little secret that people don't talk about very much is transmission. Yeah. Transmission, permitting, right-of-way is usually exponentially, believe it or not, harder than getting a location to build a reactor site. Mm. And then lastly, her, near and dear to her heart is where these old plants are or plants that will be decommissioned, there's a community that have helped bring America to one of the 
you know, leaders of the free world because of our energy story. And so we don't want to just abandon those communities. So how can I go into those communities and bring a new power source? So it's a really cool, if you haven't met or talked to those folks on those topics, it might be worth a uh, investigation. But, um, but that is like, that topic is, um, there's a lot of conversations I feel like that are happening and it's still early days. People are sorting it out, but, um, not to pile on, uh, missing that. I, I don't think you're missing it. I think it's, we're right in the heart of sorting through this conversation. Oppenheimer, no Oppenheimer. You could always pivot to Barbie. That's true. Yeah. There's, <laughs> you benefit. know, if we think hard enough, we'll come up with a day at center angle for Barbie. Um, it, for sure. It, yeah. It, it's, I mean, to your point on stories that are tangential, it, the utility one is an exact one where a few years ago <clears throat> we were writing about it. It wasn't as big a story to the sector. And now, obviously, the story for the data center sector is, can I trust that I'm going to get the power at this location? Right. Um, and we're trying to ramp up our coverage. But again, I, th- I think we could do way more. Um, I'm yeah, never satisfied by what, what we're putting out, really. You wrote an article that I love, um, and I'm going to reference it. I didn't know if I was going to reference it on this call. But it just to make that point, my chief growth officer is quoted in that article as saying, look, when we go to pursue... Um, a location for a mega data center. I should say we deal with what we call mega data centers, mm-hmm. and that is a um, usually they're a hundred megawatt la- or larger, and then we put clusters of them on campuses, and so that campus, in our mind, needs to be it you know approaching if not exceeding a thousand megawatts, and so with that in mind. It is the usually the thing we lead with. Where is the power infrastructure? And then you have you know you have all the other things. Can I do business there? Is it a good business environment? How do we do connectivity? But far and away the long pole in the tent is uh, infrastructure to the grid. What what kind of grids available? Yeah. And how do I get to it? And and that was not our lead um, factor. It's a, it's one of five yeah. ingredients, but it wasn't the first ingredient as recently as three or four years ago. And now it is the, if you don't solve this question, you move on to nothing else. Exactly. And it, it's, it, it's something we, we've been hiring new writers and it's explaining to them a hundred megawatts as a starting point is crazy. That's not a, that's not what it's always been. This, we're right. in a, a very crazy time of insane scale that's hitting up at the worst possible utility side at the right. same time, just as the utility is getting a lot worse and right. a lot le- less reliable, the data center operators are wanting more than ever. Right. So how do you, do you talk to the utilities as well, or do you just talk to the operators? How do you, how do you include in your conversation either now or in the future, a variety of perspectives um, maybe that are related to our industry, but aren't, you know, they don't have a data center in the name of mm. their company. We're trying more and more. We talk to like wind turbine manufacturers, um, solar panel guys, utilities. It depends. It's very hard to talk to them officially. We talk <clears throat> on background and talk to them with employees, but mm. usually because they are in a position of we're not meeting what the data center industry wants, they don't want to talk to us because they assume we're going to be, you know, negative. Right. Um, I won't name utility names, but you know the guys that haven't I hit probably, the yeah. uh, the things that they're meant to that they promise to hit, and and so there's there's a bit more of a standoff nature to our conversations. 
That's got to be frustrating as a journalist where you're trying to get a, tell a comprehensive story, not just mm. one perspective, which may be an accurate perspective, but it's a perspective. It's very difficult to, for an audience to get a whole, um, you know, a, a, a picture of the entire environment if you don't have those credible voices yeah. there to give you the ability to tell the story in a way, okay, well, here's why we didn't, you know, there's a Garth Brooks song that says, thank God for unanswered prayers. And what I mean by that is just, there are times when a utility may say, look, we went with best of intentions. And I'm not trying to defend mm -hmm. anybody because usually I'm, I'm not sure, I'm probably too close to the problem that I agree with this, but just giving everybody a benefit of a doubt. We went in with this intention and things exceeded our, you know, there was a rush on LED TVs here at Walmart and we don't have enough. We thought we were, but we don't. And so we're working to solve that. But if you never get to have the conversation related to supply chain or mm. related to expectation or whatever, all you hear is false advertisement. It didn't work, right? And you, you know, it, it I got to believe that's a frustrating position to be in to try to tell a story when you don't have at least in your mind, the representation you want to uh, convey an accurate story. Oh, it's very, yeah, it, it hurts me. I mean, no story is ever going to have everything I want, but like it hurts me when there is a big part of it that's missing. Um, like the best you can do is try and give them as much time as possible, reach out through official channels and then informally with, with individuals and then be transparent in the piece. You know, right. if you read a piece and you should at least see that we tried to reach out to the utility. Right. You might be able to infer why they want to talk, but like we want to make sure that there is that opportunity. Right. Um, but equally, you make the the point of perspectives. It's very difficult um, being in in a publication that reports on the industry that reads it. Right. I believe it. <laughs> um, and especially now, as there's a there's a lot of legitimate concerns about the data center sector um, from locals, there's you know there's the sustainability issues, and some some people in the sector are like, hey, your job is to make us look good, right? And that's fundamentally not what I believe. Our our job is to accurately report on what's happening, and my hope is that that makes that is useful, right? So, if a application for a data center gets rejected we need to report on why we need to talk to the locals and we get people reaching out going why are you talking to these locals they're angry nimby people and it's like well they did stop your data center so maybe the whole industry should learn even if you don't agree with why they did it you need to learn how they did it and why right um and and it, it it's something that's you know why i mentioned we have we have a separate team for the partner content stuff because our biggest advertisers are also this sector right. and we need to be willing to potentially lose those advertisers uh which can you know the aforementioned meetings that i mentioned you know it does happen but I, i've been fortunate dcd when they hired me i was very honest about i would just leave if if i feel that this is compromised um and the first thing i did and this is why i tell every journalist is is save up three months of salary <laughs> just in case yeah. Um, but that's never had to happen, right? I, we, we've been very honest about our relationship and that we will, even if you advertise with us, and we've, we've hired new salespeople and they'll be like, hey, this, we're trying to sell this thing, write something nice about them. And we go, no, that's that's just not how it works. Right. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes it can be how it works, you know, depending on the publication. But we've, we work really hard to make sure that there's these clear lines and we're very transparent about where they are. It's got to be a... 
a very difficult thing to maintain that balance where it's look we're looking for accuracy mm. even if it is um uncomfortable where the receiver might feel like this is a smear this is yeah. a this is an attack why are we being singled out why are we and to, and to you know to maintain your own integrity to say no this is you know we um uh in, in full disclosure i don't know that we've ever gone through that i hope we never go through that uh but we wanted you on the show because we love um, we, I participate regularly, um, unpaid, but I mm. participate, so I'm not, I'm not paid to say this, but I love the DCD events that I attend both as a guest and as a speaker. Um, one, George, I never know what's going to happen, um, with, with the crew, but they're always so well run, great thought leaders oh, there, you. but they allow freedom of thought and debate to happen from the stage, which happens all the time. I was at the one in New York uh, recently, uh, earlier this year, and not everybody is enthusiastic about the idea of nuclear energy coming right. into the space. And then there's another side that are unlikely allies that are, um, w we love the idea, but we just think it's a unicorn. Like, it's it's not going to happen anytime soon. Like, leaning into some of the things that we think are, you know, it was like blockchain five years ago. Hey, I got a blockchain, you know, I got a, not that we don't believe that blockchain in variety of forms mm. isn't going to be applicable, but we remember we ran around and say, hey, I got my blockchain in a box. I'm just going to lean it against your organizational statement is going to solve all your problems. Like, it's just not, that's not how this works. So I appreciate these events where you bring real thought leaders in, you allow them respectfully to uh, uh, disagree or tease ideas out. I think um, the article does that, or the, uh, the periodical does that as well. Let me ask you, mm. it seems like like two years, it's recent, it's two years ago, but for sure four years ago, there were just two or three places I went for our industry news. Like if it's digital infrastructure, and by that I mean telecom, data centers, and the ancillary things around it, there's really just a couple credible mm. uh, groups reporting on it. Now it seems like that's changing dramatically. Is that your experience? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's interesting times from a from a career perspective. I'm like, uh oh, uh, we're no longer <laughs> the only ones. Um, but from a reader's perspective, it's great, right? It, like, I, I don't want to be the only person writing about this because I can I I genuinely find the subject really fascinating. So it'd be great if more people write about it. Um, there, there's a challenge because you know to my point of earlier, why I didn't want to be a mainstream journalist. As mainstream journalists get into the sector. They understandably get things wrong because they oversimplify. They just don't know the nitty gritty, um, and that can be frustrating. What one of the things I do is, you know, sometimes they reach out to me, and I do kind mm. of off the record just background briefings with them and go, "This is my experience reporting on this. These are the people that I trust. These are the people in the industry that like to, you know, round up numbers quite right. quite a few times." Right. Um, and some some of these journalists are really receptive. Some 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 journalists are less receptive and you know i i think in journalism you need to be very willing to take criticism um of your writing and and of, of the things that how you approach stories otherwise you're just not going to get better um yeah. but it, it it you know you mentioned we are in this moment and it means everyone's trying to every journalist out there's trying to find an ai angle mm -hmm. and obviously you follow the ai story back where do you end up the day at center so we are getting a lot more coverage a lot of it's good a lot of it is mm. mm -hmm. and 
it, it, I'm not sure how long that'll stay, if this is flavor of the month or if this is where the market will, will be um, yeah. from now on. So I, I have a fuller question, but before I do that, I have a small question. Do you have you ever played D and D? No, I haven't actually. Okay, well, yeah. just I'm sorry. We may have to edit this out of the pod. Well, no, <laughs> we may have to remove this from the podcast. But um, there's still hope for you. So, relative young man, I don't see a lot of gray, so you get a chance. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, in D and D, one of the things you do kind of famously as you tell the stories you roll the dice so you're the pretty you know your referee they call him the dm says all right i need uh sebastian sebastian says i want to stab the orc in the head okay i want you to roll the dice for your weapon and there's two types of people that roll the dice there's the t the one person who rolls it out in front of everybody whatever the dice is everybody sees the dice you can't hide the numbers you hit them you miss them whatever then there's the other person, and this is a very small percentage of people. They kind of roll the dice behind their little screen, and they tell you what they rolled. Mm. And so you're not sure you trust their integrity. And so as you were telling me about the story, you know, sometimes, look, if, if Sebastian doesn't hit the orc, Dave's dwarf is for sure taking an ax to the head. And then we don't get the freaking amulet of gold. And then I've wasted this 12 weeks of campaign. And so I feel pressure to make sure that whatever happens with this dice, um, it comes up with a number equal to or greater than that I need. And, and so I had to find a way to work in a D&D reference today. <laughs> but I, but I, I feel that pressure where if I don't really know or I feel like I've got to deliver because I come from, and I'm not trying to disparage other mm. industries or whatever, but if there's a, you know, look, this is close enough for this quick hit that I'm, I'm writing, um, deep dive expertise isn't necessary. I could take the surface and sort of fill in the blanks and away we go. Whereas somebody who's, wait a minute, I've been around this forever and I know... When this group is talking, they mean these things. And when this group yeah. is talking, they mean these things. And so here's the fuller picture um, to help tell that story. The, the, you've also got the advantage, the advantage of the audience, right? Is if, if I'm writing, uh, say I was doing a profile on, on yourself or QTS, if I'm right. doing it for a mainstream audience and I've only got 1,200 words, half of that is just explaining basic terms, right? right. Explaining what a data center is, explaining who hyperscalers are, all of that, and and before you know it, you've only got a few hundred words to actually say anything new. Um, whereas if I do a profile on you for DCD, there's an assumption that a lot of that basic stuff is known. We might do a little bit of hand-holding on, on anything that's a bit more specific, but right. I have a lot more space to actually say something. Right. Um, well, we now have to move to the part of the program that you've been dreading, but we need to get to. Um, off the record, I'm going to get with you and find out what your D&D character might look like, because that'll probably <laughs> tell me a lot about your uh, your uh, uh, online dating profile. But in all seriousness, we, you mentioned AI earlier. Mm. It's having a moment. I was just reading an article in DCD, as mm. a matter of fact, about um, NVIDIA and uh, or actually... Um, there is a, there's a, I can't, it's a cloud company. I know you remember the name, but they're, they're, you know, looking for investment money and Microsoft's looking at them. NVIDIA's looking at them again. They had been talking to NVIDIA, but some, some questions, regulatory questions came up as I understand it. And, and so 
AI, whether you are a creator of the infrastructure for it, or you're a data center that houses the locations that AI li live, or you are a creator of the AI tools, the machine learning and uh, you know the algorithms and whatever, it's everywhere. I mean, it's mm. it's um, it's here in in it's in our conversations regularly. Heck, just in how we operate our facilities and how we how we're all we're looking at ways that we can apply these things. Outside looking in, it doesn't feel like this is the same sort of conversation as. Um, for example, a, a, a PUE. PUE is a right. conversation within the sustainability world that got really hot for a while, and then as the industry responded, it's sort of a, it's, it's part of the conversation, but it's not something that we dwell on. We've moved on to other measurement tactics and efficiency of a data center. Um, it feels like this one, whether it's generative AI specifically or other narrow forms of AI, is like this is going to be one of the dominating conversations for the mm. next several years. And I'm one, I'm curious, do you believe that to be true? And if you do um, or don't, yeah. wh why do you believe that? And how are you writing um, to cover that topic? It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough because A, you know, to, to both our points, everyone's writing about it now. So you want to at least have say something different. Mm -hmm. um but not say something different for different sake right i don't want right. to you know you, you know opinion writers that just do contrarian stuff just to right seem different and i i hate that but so so the beginning earlier in the year i did like a big big deep dive that almost broke my brain um that i think it was it was thirteen thousand words in the end 25 interviews each each and it's like each interview is you know an hour or two long i transcribed them all then i try and work out how to so I started with like 130,000 words and whittled it down I still have a bit of PTSD from writing that thing <laughs> um, but you know so that was kind of like my way of also understanding we're in this moment what does this mean um, and I just talked to everyone that I could that I thought had a had an important take um, but it's also clear we're, we're in the middle of a hype phase it's definitely going to even out a bit there are going to be a bunch of people left holding the bag um, I, I think maybe the next great business idea is what to do with 10,000 GPUs, because mm -hmm. there's going to be a lot of people that installed thousands of GPUs and their flavor of AI hasn't worked out. Maybe all the flavors of AI haven't worked out, but open AIs, um, and they're, they're off with Microsoft. So you're just left holding 10,000 GPUs. What, what is the next great business idea you can build off of that? Right. Um, and then there's the personal angle of as someone that makes a living writing words and there's a machine that can write words who's much cheaper than me uh it's that's also scary i had a guest his name is devlin lyles on a few weeks ago and devlin challenged me to think differently about it he said you know one of the things that's happening where you were talking sebastian about the business cases and there will be winners and losers as people apply their GPUs to go solve problems. He said, that's part of it. Right. But the other part is whoever wins in a particular category of narrow AI that really crushes it, or in the larger category of general AI is going to win everything. And what he means, and I don't know that I agree with him. I'm still trying to de develop the thought, but that unlike other tools or weapons or whatever, you can be second to the party. You know, mm -hmm. we see this in nuclear arms. You can be second and still be a pretty powerful player. 
But in AI, he said, whoever wins wins gets there first. That AI will dominate all other AI either in its niche or if it's general AI, which is the real arms race in his mind, um, it will shut down all other general, all mm. other not their flavor because it will have the ability to do that. Seemed pretty. He's a pretty optimistic guy. That seemed like a pretty pessimistic uh, worldview. But I, I'll be curious to see how that narrative plays out. But in our world, we see all the big tech companies that you might imagine really investing in, even if they don't have all of the applications figured out yet, they really believe um, there's a race here to yeah. have the compute power um, necessary to, to develop the tools and to make this happen. Because if you don't, and that even if you've got equal access to the idea, but somebody's got an exponential, uh, what am I trying to say? Exponential lead in the ability to apply something, you'll lose that race. Yeah, it becomes self-fulfilling. It becomes like the data that you know OpenAI already gaining for people using ChatGPT is in itself a gold mine um, that will help inform future versions. So, I mean, that is you're, you're correct of what makes this moment so special, right? If this is the future, which is a big question mark, right? The but if so, then the winners of now are you know, equally how the the winners of the previous races like google has been incredibly hard to unseat as as the search engine because once they got that point they started building and amassing the data and what it takes to run a search engine and what people expect from a search engine right. and it's you know it, microsoft has spent many many billions in trying to stop change that and right. hasn't until this new wave right and even then it yeah, still takes a while but that's what they're betting on mm. because if you get that data which is right? The economy. If I win, if this is a moment in time where I can unseat my competitor, whether it's in search or it's in an online experience in the metaverse, or it's a e-commerce or a whatever, if I can use these tools and the lead is such that um, it, it's so big to, to get that three or five or 7% gain in the beginning, because it's a, it's a exponential curve mm. I don't know. It's a, but it, that's what it feels like from people that I've talked to in whatever the category is. Their belief is that these tools will uh, lead them in whatever their niche that they're pursuing to have a significant uh, advantage. It'll be curious to see. You know, somebody, people point out all the time, though, there's only so many natural resources on the planet. Like, there's only so many people to assemble. There's only so much cobalt. Like, fill in the blank. There's only so many chips. There's... There a lot of wringing of hands yeah. of what's going to happen. There's only so many uh, watts of power out there. And so we may have an appetite for it, but uh, it may take a while to realize our matrix in, <laughs> that we're trying to build. Well, and there's also many unknowns about the current way these models are built. There's a, there's a limit to how much more they can scale before we can't build data centers big enough to house right. all those GPUs and the, uh, you know, GPUs don't scale linearly. It will start to taper off. Um, you're going to have to be running, training some model on a supercomputer that's bigger than anything we've ever built for three years. And it's like, that's not feasible. Right. Um, but 
because we're now throwing so much money at it, there's a good chance we'll have better approaches to train these models and avoid that kind of cliffhanger of, of just simply not being able to throw enough compute to get to that next stage. Yeah. So how many, um, how many parts are to this uh, massive um, multi-part article that you've written? It, yeah, it was seven, seven parts online, one, one big Mac piece in the magazine, and then seven parts online to make it a little bit more digestible because when, when I put 13,000 words on a single page, it looked uh, daunting. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, in a podcast. If I, if I do um, speech-to-text conversion, mm. That's about an hour and 45 minute conversation. That's just steady talking. The implication then is, especially if that's what your pared down version looks like, you, to your point earlier, you've had probably hundreds of hours of mm. conversation or at least thinking about what did I, ha I had an hour and a half or two hours over here, which is 17,000 words. I did that 25 times, and then I had to extract 10% or 5% of that and then put it in this cohesive conversation. I can't even imagine that challenge. Oh, it was, it was horrible. Um, but I, I can tell you it was uh, 2 hours and 14 minutes was one of the edited versions because what I do is once I've written something is I read it into a microphone right, um, and then listen back to it because that's where you start to realize, oh, I was repetitive here or... Right. This jump between these two paragraphs is not a nice segue, right. um, but it is horrible having to listen back to your voice. <laughs> yes, I say that every week. <laughs> so when, when you were done with that, did you sit back besides, man, I accomplished this significant thing. Did you sit back and say, this is amazing? Or do you like, sell all we got. We're moving uh, to an island to watch the world go up and smoke. What, uh, what was your reaction? There's a unhealthy abstraction that writing about it allows you to feel that you're not part of it somewhat. So you know, the first thought when I finished writing was more about the piece. Oh, God, have I made it too long? Will people actually read this? Um, for fortunately, they did. But that was my first thought. And then it took a while after that for me to have grander thoughts about the world, which, which remained pessimistic, but more about <laughs> climate change than AI. <laughs> well, let me ask you that. I, I know we're coming up on time here, but I'm curious. Mm -hmm. So we have... If, whether it's people in my organization or just people in our industry, and they have a they have a chance to hear from you now, what is it that you're thinking about that they should? If you if you were able to coach somebody in our industry, and they really want a holistic view of what's going on, what should they be excited about? What should they be concerned about? What should they focus on and pay close attention to? So maybe they can not just get better informed, but influence. What are the couple topics that you would direct people's attention to that you want to make sure you're, you're covering or your staff is covering um, that they could take away? And then I don't want to give, ask you to give a prediction, but if you could imagine, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is, hey, look, pay attention to this because if we don't pay attention to it, it's going to get away from us. And, um, and the consequences are pretty significant. Or if we don't take advantage of this, you know, we're going to miss a great opportunity to make a change or, or to do something that we should do. What, what, would, your, what would your comment be? So I don't, I don't think I have any grand pronouncements that aren't relatively obvious. I think one of the big ones to the point of AI is be cautious that your business fundamentals work. You know, whenever there's a land grab, um, you, you want to throw money at it to, you know, 
stick AI in your name, your your stock price will go up. Um, right. at, at this point, we're in this weird uh, moment where if you go, hey, I spent two billion on a model training an AI model, and someone else goes, I spent three billion training an AI model. Everyone's more excited about the three billion one. It could be worse. So so the the incentives are not correct because the the incentives isn't towards efficiency, isn't towards a good business model. It's mm. bigger number good, right? Mm, right. Um, and yeah, the data center industry as a whole still hasn't fully adapted to, you know, to your point that with the pandemic, a lot of traditional real estate didn't do great. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of traditional everything didn't do great, but data centers were very fortunate. So there was an influx of what I call dumb money, you know, investors that don't really know the sector, don't really know what it means. And there's, there's been a crop of new companies that I personally think will either go bust or get acquired um, at way below their value. And now there's new dumb money with AI. So it, it's, it's I think it's just a caution. You know, that's part of the reason I'm doing this Enron piece. Um, and I keep, I'm going to do WorldCom. Um, I want to do these moments in history where we've had hype cycles. We've had land grabs that have proved correct, right? The dot-com bubble, while it collapsed, that the overall thesis that the internet will change everything was correct. Right. It was just a lot of shaky foundations for businesses that then led to a whole crop of companies. And, you know, there, there are digital realty switch. These are companies that got their start by buying Enron broadband assets, you know, for, for pennies on the pound. Right. Um, I think equally we'll see that post what, once the AI madness starts to kind of normalize and these companies have to have real business models to support insane training operations um we will start to see that same cycle all over again i i agree it's uh, it's funny how it you'd think we'd learn how, how learn. these cycles it just seems like we don't i remember um it was either the late 90s or early 2000s right as the the to me the quintessential dot-com bubble um idea was this website called i'm pretty sure it's called gardentools.com or something like that they raised a fortune there was nothing behind it it was mm -hmm. all well intended it was all this other stuff and we're just going to make this but in order to do this thing that we were going to go do we're going to raise all this money and they raised it for a website that had nothing no infrastructure no whatever and um it just cracked me up. I'm pretty sure it's called gardentools.com or something like that. And it, it, our company, QTS was born. I was working for a company that went from a telecom, uh, our Swanee data center, which at the time was massive, uh, mm. 300 and something thousand square foot data center, which today is like the coat room for a big right. data center. Um, but it was 30 megawatt is 30 megawatts stabilized is amazing data center. But when I uh, started working there, we had, I don't know, 30 employees or 30 uh, customers in this massive empty uh, space because it just didn't happen. And the parent company went to penny stock. And it was uh, the only thing that saved us was it was cash. We had paid cash for everything. Right. And so our current CEO, Chad Williams, had come along and had this vision of you know, kind of Midwest America. Frugal's the wrong word, but um, and, I, and I'm being serious. Yeah. Senseful, common sense. I feel like there's an opportunity to be close to technology and the idea of this thing called a data center, um, which he didn't have a lot of experience with, uh, anecdotal experience, but not direct experience. 
We bought a um, billion-dollar chip fab in Richmond for 12 million bucks, and the wow. whole world thought we were insane. We built one. Like, just this idea of, he would say, look, if I can get an asset with this kind of infrastructure, I'll find a way to use it. But there's a, I'm sure you've heard this before, in real estate, basis is forever. Mm. I've got to get in, not at the high mark, but I got to get in at this mark in order to do these things. Even today, it seems crazy because we're, as you know, we're building really big data centers yeah. all over the place. But that is the mantra that drives the organizational um, mindset of the teams in our world, and I'm sure in our successful competitors' world. Basis is forever. I got to get in with the right infrastructure in the right way. And if I don't, this hype cycle is going to come and go. We, yeah. we know how it works. And if we're not good stewards, you know, we haven't spent a lot of time on sustainability. But if we're not good stewards of our environment, if we're not good stu stewards with our people, if we're not good stewards with our capital and really robust with those, it's going to fall apart in a spectacular way. Some of them with much greater consequences than others. Yeah, there's going to be a few, I think, that are going to be bigger than than people hope but it, it, it's to your point it's take advantage of the moment right if right. if a hyperscaler wants to give a, a large contract to someone to build a large data center because we're in a hype cycle go for it right um but be careful to not overstretch because at some point it, it the, the business is the fundamentals are going to change because at some point large language models need to make large sums of money <laughs> they do simple as right um and they don't at the moment yeah, not just talk a lot. Well, Sebastian, yeah. we've talked a lot. I could keep you here for another hour or two. I don't want to do that. What haven't we talked about that we should have today? I mean, I, I can talk my uh, the hind legs off the donkey. But um, I think to, to your point on sustainability, it, it's again, when we talk about mainstream media um, and broader awareness of data centers, all the more so now companies need to be careful about how they message sustainability and why they do it, I think there's increasing fatigue towards greenwashing the, right. the lot of the old tricks just don't work anymore um individuals journalists everyone's kind of jaded on that fact so when data center companies think about how they talk sustainability there needs to be at least at least some meat behind the bones um big, and then I'm trying to think what else i think that's that's really yeah i think the the other call to people would be as a journalist i'm also very aware that i'm not a data center employee you know i've not worked at qts mm -hmm. i will make mistakes so i always have an open line of communication one of the things i like to do is do interviews with people that are just off the record tell me about your job tell me about your day in the life how do you work in a data center what would you if i was a new employee what would you tell me um to give me that perspective right. as much as possible so so if if that's something anyone would be interested in you know reach out my my email address is public okay um, so the best way to reach you is through email. We'll we'll post the links. Um, email, uh, LinkedIn, um, okay. you know, fan mail. Okay, fan uh, mail. Yeah, <laughs> but not the D and D website. We've got to get not you on that website. One day. Yeah, yeah, maybe as a just one time. Just one time. Yeah, it's a psychological profile to see who you choose to play. If you're a night elf rogue, it's going to tell us a lot about you. So it would it. You know, a lot of fun. My, my promise, I have a very poor work-life balance as it is. I'm, I have a limited <laughs> space for extra hobbies. I'm sure. Well, Sebastian, thanks for coming on the show today. I look forward to our next conversation. No, thank you so much. I had a great time. And if you've enjoyed that conversation, like it. If you loved it, subscribe. We'll see you next time, everybody, on the QTS Experience. Have a good one.